Chapter 8 of Raiding with Morgan by Byron Dunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Capture of Gallatin. Morgan's command had not been encamped at Livingston more than two or three days when, to everyone's astonishment, a couple of soldiers belonging to Captain Matthews' company came riding into camp, one on Fred Shackelford's famous horse Prince and the other on a well-known horse of Colonel Shackelford's called Blenheim. Calhoun, hearing the cheering and laughter which greeted the soldiers as they galloped in waving their hats and shouting, ran out of his quarters to see what was occasioning the excitement. He could hardly believe his eyes when he saw the well-known horse of Fred. Then his heart gave a great jump, for the thought came to him that his cousin had been waylaid and killed. But if so, how did the soldiers come to have Blenheim, too? To his relief, he soon learned the truth of the story, how from Crab Orchard, Captain Matthews had sent back two of his company to capture Prince, and they had returned not only with Prince, but with Blenheim. Matthews was in high spirits as he appropriated Prince. Jumping on his back, he galloped him through camp, showing off his fine points and declaring he could outrun any horse in the brigade. A match was soon arranged, but Prince so easily outstripped every competitor that soon no officer was found who had the hardihood to enter his horse in the lists against him. Blenheim was awarded to Conway, much to his satisfaction. He could not forego the opportunity of crowing over Calhoun, thinking he would be vexed over the capture of his cousin's horse. "'Why do you come blowing around me?' asked Calhoun, nettled by his manner. "'I am neither the keeper of my cousin nor the keeper of his horse.' "'Oh, you were so careful of his precious person when I took him prisoner. I did not know, but your carefulness might extend to his horse,' replied Conway with a sneer. Calhoun felt his blood boil. But controlling himself, he replied, "'You did not take Captain Shackelford, and I am surprised that you should make such a statement. You forget that I was there before you.' "'You would have let the fellow go,' snapped Conway. "'Just as Colonel Morgan did on his parole,' answered Calhoun. "'It was your fault that he slipped through my fingers,' exclaimed Conway, angrily. "'But my time will come. I have sworn to see him hanged before this war is over.' and I shall. "'Catch your rabbit before you skin him, Captain,' replied Calhoun, with provoking coolness. And the laugh was on Conway, who turned away with a muttered oath. Conway had entertained a secret dislike to Calhoun ever since their first meeting, partly because he had been chosen by Morgan instead of Conway himself to go back to Kentucky, and partly on account of his being Fred's cousin." But after the affair at Colonel Shackelford's house, he took little pains to conceal his dislike. Many of the officers of the brigade noticed this and predicted that sooner or later there would be trouble between the two. But Calhoun was not through with being bantered over the capture of Prince. Captain Matthews came riding up and with a flourish said, "'Ah, Lieutenant, I reckon you have seen this horse before. What do you think of him?' Now Matthews was a rough, rollicking fellow, and quite a favorite in the command. He and Calhoun were good friends, and so Calhoun answered pleasantly, 
He is the best horse in Kentucky. I know it, for I was once beaten by him in a race. But, continued Calhoun with a laugh, my advice is to guard him very carefully, or Captain Shackelford will get him back sure. That horse has more tricks than you dream of. I am not worrying, replied Matthews. One of your scouts has just had to fork over five dollars to one of my men on a bet they made at Crab Orchard that I could not get the horse. Perhaps you would like to bet I can't keep him. Yes, I will go you twenty-five that Captain Shackelford will have his horse back in less than two months, answered Calhoun dryly. Done, exclaimed the captain gleefully, and the stakes were placed in the hands of Captain Huffman. The bet afforded much amusement to the officers, but all of them looked upon it as a very foolish bet on the part of Calhoun. "'That twenty-five is gone,' said Huffman to Calhoun, as he pocketed the stakes. "'But I am sure of having fifty dollars for at least two months.' "'I reckon I shall lose,' said Calhoun. "'But Matthews had better not let Shackelford get sight of his horse.' "'Why?' asked a dozen voices in concert. "'Because that horse is up to more antics than a trick horse in a circus. "'You will see, if we ever run across my cousin in our raids.' "'I don't know what you mean,' said one of the officers. "'But your cousin will have a fine time getting that horse away from Jim Matthews.' "'Wait and see,' was Calhoun's answer. "'It was not many days before they knew what Calhoun meant. "'A few days sufficed to rest Morgan's command, "'and it was not the nature of Morgan to remain long idle. "'He had to be doing something. "'It was known that the Confederate armies "'were about ready to make the long-talked-of forward movement into Kentucky. "'In fact, General Kirby Smith had already set out from Knoxville "'to invade eastern Kentucky,' and General Bragg was nearly ready to take the initiative from Chattanooga. The Federal Army in Tennessee was scattered, and owing to the raids of Morgan and Forrest, the men were on short rations. General Buell was at his wit's end. He knew that General Bragg was preparing to advance, but thought he would not attempt the invasion of Kentucky before attacking him. He therefore looked for a great battle somewhere in Middle Tennessee, and concentrated his forces for the event. Before Bragg moved, Morgan decided to strike another blow at the Louisville and Nashville Railroad, and this time right under the noses of the Federal Army. Gallatin is only 26 miles from Nashville, and Morgan decided to attempt its capture. In order to spy out the land, Calhoun entered the place as a country lad, he found that it was garrisoned by a federal force of about 400 under the command of Colonel Boone. The discipline was lax. In daytime, no pickets were out, and Calhoun found no difficulty in entering the place. He made himself known to a few of the citizens, and they gave him all the information possible. To them, the coming of Morgan meant deliverance from a hateful foe. It did not take Calhoun long to find out the station of every picket at night. The camp of the Federals was on the fairground, half a mile from the city. Colonel Boone was accustomed to sleep at a hotel in the city. In fact, his wife was sick at the hotel. Colonel Boone knew that Morgan was near and was fearful of an attack. He telegraphed both to Nashville and to General Buell at McMinnville for reinforcements, but no attention was paid to his demand. 
Instead, he was ordered to send nearly half of his force away to intercept a drove of beef cattle which it was reported the Confederates were driving down from Kentucky. That the citizens might not know that his numbers were depleted, Colonel Boone did not send his force away until midnight, thinking no one would see them depart. But sharp eyes were watching. Nothing was going on in Gallatin without Calhoun's knowledge. He lost no time in reporting to Morgan, and the attack came swiftly. Knowing the location of every picket post, Calhoun was able to effect their capture without the firing of a gun, and Morgan rode into Gallatin without the knowledge of the Federal force, which was only half a mile away. Colonel Boone was captured at the hotel. The first intimation he had that Morgan was in the city was when he was commanded by Calhoun to surrender. A demand was now made on the camp that it should surrender, which it did. Thus, without firing a gun, Gallatin, with the entire Federal garrison and all the military stores which it contained, was captured. Losing no time, Morgan ordered the company of Captain Matthews and Captain Conway, together with Calhoun's scouts, to take the stockade which guarded the tunnel six miles north of town. The attack was successful the stockade surrendering after a slight resistance. The tunnel was now in the possession of the Confederates. A long train of cars which had been captured was piled with wood, rails, and other combustibles set on fire and run into the tunnel. The sides and roof of the tunnel were supported by heavy woodwork, and the whole tunnel was soon a roaring mass of flame. The wood being burned away, the tunnel caved in, and it was months before a train ran through from Louisville to Nashville. Morgan had effectually blocked the road. Highly elated with their success, the command returned to Gallatin, Matthews and Conway riding at the head of the column. To Calhoun was committed the care of the prisoners, and he brought up the rear. When about halfway to Gallatin, Calhoun heard the report of a single pistol shot in front then a rapid succession of rifle shots. The head of the column seemed to be thrown into confusion, and the whole command came to a halt. Fearful that an attack had been made by a Federal force coming from Nashville, Calhoun gave orders to shoot down the first prisoner who attempted to escape, and prepared to resist any attack that might come. But no more firing was heard, and the column began to move again. Soon an officer came riding back and told Calhoun a story that interested him greatly. Matthews and Conway were riding at the head of the column, when, as it reached the crossroad, a peculiar sharp whistle suddenly pierced the air. Matthews's horse gave a prodigious bound, unseated his rider, and dashed up the crossroad. Conway's horse bolted, and in spite of Conway's efforts, followed. A boy sprang out of the bushes into the road, and Matthews's horse stopped by his side. He fired at Conway, hitting him in the shoulder. To save himself from being shot again, Conway flung himself from his horse. The boy sprang onto Matthews's horse and rode away at full speed, followed by the other horse. An ineffectual volley was fired at the boy. Captain Matthews's arm was broken by the fall. So Captain Matthews has lost his horse, asked Calhoun with a faint smile. Yes, he will quit blowing now. And I have won twenty-five dollars, but I am sorry Matthews had his arm broken. 
When Calhoun reached Gallatin, Captain Conway had had his wound dressed, and Matthews's arm was in splints. Conway was in a towering passion. He blamed Calhoun for his ill luck, saying if it had not been for him, Fred Shackelford would have been hanged as a spy. From this time, he did not try to conceal his hatred of Calhoun. Captain Matthews took his misfortune more philosophically. It was a blamed sharp trick on the part of young Shackelford, he exclaimed. Then, turning to Captain Huffman, he said, Give that money to Lieutenant Pennington. He has won it. But I give you all fair warning. I shall get that horse back. My reputation depends upon it. To think that I, who prided myself on being one of the best horsemen in Morgan's troop, should be thrown. Blah, it makes me sick. And his face took on a look of disgust. I warned you, said Calhoun, that that horse was up to tricks. When Fred gives that whistle, he will unhorse any rider who is on his back. I have seen Fred try it time and time again with his father's nigger boys as riders, and Prince never failed of unhorsing them. When Fred gave that whistle, his horse would have gone to him or died in the attempt. I am sorry you didn't let Conway hang him, replied Matthews, gently rubbing his broken arm, but I will get even with him, see if I don't. I want that horse worse than ever. A few days after the capture of Gallatin, a federal force moved up from Nashville, reoccupied the city, committed many depredations, and began arresting the citizens right and left, accusing them of complicity with Morgan. When Morgan heard of this, he at once moved to the relief of the distressed city. Attacking the rear guard of the enemy as it was leaving the place, he not only defeated them, but drove them to within seven miles of Nashville, capturing the force at Pilot Knob, and burning the high railroad trestle at that place. He also captured a train of cars and liberated forty of the citizens of Gallatin, who were being taken to Nashville as prisoners. They had been used with the greatest cruelty by their captors. In this raid, Morgan captured nearly two hundred prisoners. Notwithstanding the provocation was great, considering the way the citizens of Gallatin had been used, Morgan treated his prisoners kindly and paroled them. The federal authorities, now being thoroughly alarmed, resolved to crush Morgan. To this end, a brigade of cavalry was organized at McMinnville, placed under the command of General R. W. Johnson, and sent against him. Johnson thought that Morgan was at Hartsville and marched against that place. But when he reached Hartsville and learned that Morgan was at Gallatin, he at once marched to attack him there, confident of easy victory. Up to this time, the Federals had boasted that Morgan would not fight anything like an equal force, that he always attacked isolated posts with overwhelming numbers. They were now to learn something different. Morgan had been kept well posted by Calhoun and his scouts with regard to every movement of Johnson. Although he knew that he was greatly outnumbered, Morgan resolved to give battle and teach the boasting Yankees a lesson. Early on the morning of August 21st, Calhoun came galloping into Gallatin with the information that Johnson was close at hand. To avoid fighting a battle in the city, Morgan moved out on the Hartsville Pike, meeting the enemy about two miles from Gallatin. The engagement opened at once with fury. Up to that time, it was the greatest engagement fought in the West in which cavalry only was engaged.
For a time the Federals fought bravely, and for an hour the issue of the battle was doubtful. Then a charge stampeded a portion of the Federal forces. Thoroughly panic-stricken, they threw away guns, accoutrements, everything that impeded their progress, thinking only of safety in flight. Plunging into the Cumberland River, they forded it and did not stop running until they reached Nashville. The remaining Federal force under General Johnson retreated about two miles, and then made a brave stand. But nothing could withstand the fury of Colonel Basil Duke's attack, whose command had the advance. General Johnson and many of his men were taken prisoner, and the remainder were scattered. In this engagement, the Federals lost 200 men killed, wounded, and missing. Their general himself was a prisoner. Thus, to their cost, they found that when the occasion demanded, Morgan would fight. Morgan's loss in the battle was only five killed and twenty wounded, but among the latter was the brave Captain Huffman, who had an arm shattered. Colonel Basil Duke in this fight won the highest praise from Morgan for the masterly manner in which he handled his regiment. It was greatly owing to the efforts of Colonel Duke that the victory was won. In this battle Calhoun bore a conspicuous part. Single-handed, he engaged a Federal officer who was trying to rally his men and forced him to surrender. When he delivered up his sword, Calhoun saw, to his surprise, that it was his old acquaintance, Lieutenant Haynes. "'Ah, Lieutenant,' said Calhoun, "'I am glad to have met you again. When the battle is over, I will come and see you.' "'Pennington again, as I am alive,' gasped the astonished lieutenant. After all was over, Calhoun sought him out and found him sitting dejected and crestfallen among the prisoners. "'Cheer up, Lieutenant,' said Calhoun pleasantly. "'We are going to parole you. You will soon be at liberty.' "'How often do you want to parole a fellow? This will be the third time,' growled Haynes. "'Curse the luck. I thought we would wipe you off the face of the earth, sure, this time. We would, too, if it hadn't been for that cowardly regiment which broke.' An if has stood in between many a man and success, answered Calhoun. How long ago were you exchanged? About two months, replied Haines, and here I am in for it again. I expected to win a captaincy today. If this is the way it goes, I shall die a lieutenant. Oh, you may wear a star of a general yet, who knows? To change the subject, have you met the charming Miss Osborne since your return to the army? A change came over the face of Haynes, one that transformed his rather handsome features into those of a malignant spirit. Calhoun saw it and wondered. The lieutenant quickly recovered himself and answered, "'Yes, but trouble has come upon the family. Mr. Osborne refused to take the oath of allegiance, and as he was looked upon as a dangerous character, he has been sent north as a prisoner.' "'To wear his life away in some northern Bastille?' exclaimed Calhoun, in a fury. "'Monstrous!' "'That is not all,' returned Haynes. "'By some means the house took fire and burned with all its contents. "'I did all I could for them, tried to save Mr. Osborne, but could not. "'But I will not relax my efforts to have him released. "'I have some powerful friends in the north.' Calhoun thanked him and went his way. But that look which came over Haynes's face, what did it mean? It was months before Calhoun knew. End of chapter 8